podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's James on hosting duties again in the absence of Ollie, but I've got the rest of the gang with me here. Uh, Sam first, how are you? How, how's it going? Yeah, it's all going well. Thank you. Can't complain. Um, I was very much looking forward to the Brazilian Grand Prix. It's my favourite. Uh, sorry, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix in Brazil, of course. Oh, yeah, you um, can't, can't make that mistake after ripping into Ollie last week. I know, I know, I know. I felt quite bad about that. Kept me up a few few nights. <laughs> Anxiety. Um, yeah, I mean, but it's always been the Brazilian Grand Prix in time, up to what three years ago. So you know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, always look forward to it. Um, just maybe a little bit disappointed, but anyway. How are you? Well, we'll get onto that. I, I'm fine, thanks. And Abby, how are you? I'm good, thank you. A bit like Sam was looking forward to the race and a bit underwhelmed after the weekend. Well, then, should we crack straight on? with our race weekend ratings uh well i, I don't know who who to uh, let vent their disappointment first uh sam you you can start oh, it was just i again i think the sao paulo grand prix is unfairly held on a pedestal not because it isn't often a very very good weekend but it means that now when you're going to market it's difficult to be objective because you expect more from it. I think realistically, I'm going to have to give it like a, I don't know, a five. I think it was, I thought, I think it was bang average. I mm. think it was bang average on the McKenzie scale. Um, so yeah, I'm going five. There were, there were some highlights and some of the highlights were particularly uh, good. Um, or one real highlight. Uh, that was great. The rest of it was pretty just meh. Like, it wasn't awful, but it wasn't it wasn't as what what we were expecting it to be. Yeah. Well, Abby, can you beat a five? I can by point five, <laughs> and it is for the battle at the end of the race between Perez and Alonso. That's the only reason why it's got point five. I am probably guilty of holding the Sao Paulo Grand Prix up on a pedestal because it is my favourite track, and I always love the races that are there. Typically, but this weekend, it was just underwhelming and a bit meh compared to other years but yeah so 5.5 from me yeah i mean the the hamilton leclerc fan in me is tempted to give it another zero because it was a painful painful day uh but we'll get on to that and i won't give it to zero it wasn't it wasn't that bad and I, i'm not in such a bad place mentally today as i was uh, after the usgp uh but yeah i mean i, I think i'm with sam i it was it was fine overall. It had moments. It wasn't bad. If yeah, if we're rating it on the scale of 
Brazilian slash Sao Paulo Grand Prix, it's probably a three. But uh, yeah, on the regular Grand Prix rating system, uh, yeah, I, I would join Sam on a five. Anything to add? <laughs> probably not, because we all thought it was fine. Well, this is the thing. It's you know, kind of it. It was. It wasn't so bad that there was lots to talk about, and it was inspiring in that way. But it wasn't inspiring in a positive way either. So yeah, it's just very much a kind of a bit of a dud. Well, it was of course a sprint weekend, and uh, that means we have a lot to get through. So let's let's crack straight on with the only practice session that happened uh, as ever on Friday morning or Friday early afternoon, depending where you are in the world. Uh, Abby, do you want to take us through that? Yes. So. FP1 saw Sainz, Leclerc and Russell top the session. Stroll and Alonso came into the garage for a front suspension change and the changes that they made to their car proved to be the right decision across the weekend. Um, Norris and Hulkenberg had a moment where I think Norris was on a fast lap and he briefly made contact with the house, but they were able to carry on. And Sergeant locked up at the Centre S and then he had an issue with tyres and he came over the radio at one point saying it was like he was driving on two wheels. Yeah, I mean, so just to track back slightly to the, the Lando Hulk issue, I found that very odd. I mean, Hulk dawdling on the racing line, you know, we see a, a bit of culpability from both driver and team. Um, but Lando, again, it was that thing that I think we were talking about last week. I think Sam mentioned of almost using your car as a weapon. Like he kind of, yeah. he didn't turn for the apex, like like out of frustration, it seemed. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's partly been distracted or or what, but he, you know, and uh, has poked poked fun at it on social media, uh, kind of mocking Lando for not turning as much as he needed to there. So yeah, ultimately, if you were going to a portion blame, I'd say it's probably Hulkenberg who 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 holds that one because he was on the racing line, he was impeding, and we know in practice that's only going to be a slap on the wrist. You're not really, unless it's a really severe offence, going to have, see anything more severe than that. But Lando did also have his parts play in it. He could have he could have taken more evasive action, and he kind of just let it happen. It was a weird, like kind of seeing it in slow mo like moment. Yeah, and it was particularly risky with qualifying in a few hours. You know, like if he just hit slightly differently and. Does a an Ocon okay, obviously a lower speed, but rips off the the back wheel, being a, a big trouble. But let's well, let's move straight on to Friday evening and qualifying. Well, it was qualifying for the Grand Prix on the Sunday, so obviously sprint Saturday in between. If you forget what happens in Friday's qualifying session, you're not alone. Um, <laughs> in Q1. Norris at the benchmark time, he did go quicker than Verstappen slightly, but Verstappen was complaining about his car and he used a simile that I quite like that said it was jumping around like a kangaroo, but obviously Verstappen being Verstappen, he had no issues really throughout the rest of the session. But it was Sonodo, Ricardo, Bottas, Sargent and Joe out of Q1. Then in Q2, not a lot really happened. Albon had a lap deleted. Leclerc was complaining that Russell went too slowly at one point. And Hamilton had a moment at turn four, but he kept it on the track. And it was Hulkenberg, Ocon, Gasly, Magnussen and Albon out of Q2. 
And then Q3 came to a very early end. Verstappen went fastest. Aston Martins timed it really well, getting their cars out on track early in the session. Piastri spun at turn 12, which affected Perez's lap, which then became a problem because even though it was in the afternoon in Brazil, it looked like it was night time because the rain came and the session was red flagged so it was Verstappen and Leclerc on the front row then Stroll, Alonso, Hamilton, Russell, Norris, Sainz, Perez and Piastri in the top 10. It was astonishing like we're used to the the weather turning on a dime in in Sao Paulo but like it went for it was sunny (laughs) like what 20 minutes before and then I mean a literal thunder and lightning storm that ripped parts of the stands, uh, the roofs off the sands. Uh, thankfully, everyone was okay. Um, but we we saw some footage which was sent to our social media teams. Uh, it looked biblical, like, yeah. and it happened literally like that. And that's what caught all the drivers out. And I mean, Charles said during his interview after like he'd never experienced anything like it it was like there was rain before the rain came just because i guess the wind picked up so much and the the track temperature must have plummeted and yeah it was bizarre you know you saw max come over the the line with that time and we're like well that that doesn't look great and then yeah well all the all the guys were saying you know oh i thought it was awful i I almost you know went in at the end of my lap i thought this is this has been a terrible lap there's no point in even setting the time um Luckily, all of them kind of stayed on, uh, and that's uh, the wind is what caught Piastri out. It changed, uh, it switched. I can't remember which way around, but it went from a tail to a headwind at that turn twelve. Which, when you approaching there for the first time in that condition, unaware that that is the condition you're about to end up in, yeah, it just completely caught him out. And you know, I, I was looking through the the qualifying, obviously you know, casting your mind back to Friday is you know, quite difficult. And I was like, oh, Perez P9 again. But actually, to be fair to Perez, he was caught up with uh, the Piastri thing. Uh, so, yeah, that explains his poor time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the photos were absolutely astonishing. They looked brilliant on social media, the photos of the storm and the cars and that backdrop against the really dark clouds. Mm. But, yeah... A lot to unpick. Um, again, we, it was the first. So you know the issue we had in Mexico with everyone stopping in the pit exit, and there was you know a traffic jam essentially. So there's a new race director's note which basically dictates that you can slow after you've got out of the initial pit lane towards the end where you're entering the track, and you can stay to the left hand side so that others can move past you if they so wish. We did see a little bit of confusion and George Russell got a penalty, a two-play squid drop for um, driving too slowly uh, there. And also, slightly unrelated, but Ocon and Gasly also got two uh, place grid drops as well. But for me, the, the big take-home has got to be Aston Martin's form. They're running a bit of a mule car this weekend. So as we know throughout the season, their updates and the upgrades haven't really worked out. Actually, it's moved them backwards in relative pace, which is always frustrating. And they're probably sitting there thinking, what a waste of cost cap money. But they've, yeah, they've ended up with a kind of hybrid uh, of bits that have kind of been developed throughout the year or been original um, from the start of the year. So yeah, P3, P4, really, really um, positive sign for them. Obviously looking to take it to McLaren to fight 
to regain that P4 and Stroll returning to pace as well. Yeah, I'll go back first to the the pit lane thing. Um, yeah, it was. I feel like it might work at some tracks, but if yeah, they had the perfect opportunity of thinking like, what's coming up next? And you think of the pit lane at Interlagos, two blind corners going downhill. It was always going to be a disaster, and it was so clearly not the solution, and I think that will be that, and they'll move on to try and fix it another way. It's almost an impossible problem, Uh, but yeah, that was more dangerous. Uh, It was not a good look having the traffic jam at the end of the pit lane in Mexico, but that looked dodgier uh, overall, I think. I was going to say, with it, it felt like a lot of drivers were whinging over their radios a lot of the time. And you had ones who were in the pit lane who weren't, well, they didn't look like they were going that slowly. But when another car came up and went to pass them, you could clearly see the difference. Like Verstappen at one point over the weekend, he he even went on the grass, I think, at one point, dipped a tire into the grass because he was trying to get ahead. And then he was like, oh, I've just got blocked. Everyone's blocked me. They hadn't. They were just going slower than him. But it looked like he had been blocked. So, yeah. The difficulty is, though, is that in order to actually have ample space to get through, you need those guys on the left to be partly on the grass as well. They were on the left hand side, but there just wasn't, it wasn't wide enough. Also, Verstappen, I saw him overtaking a couple of cars in the pit lane, which I thought was a no no. Apparently, that is a, it was allowed because he overtook science before he got past, got through that string of cars it, on the pit exit. I mean, who even knows at this point? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was <laughs> so like, well, convoluted. Yeah, so I mean, that surprised me that nothing came of that. But apparently, it's totally above board. Uh, yeah, one thing I, th- I found quite interesting, you know, Yuki came over the the radio being like penalty for Hamilton, penalty, penalty, and then they showed a replay of him getting blocked yeah. by an Alpine, and then nothing ever came yeah. of it. So I, I was like, did, was that a mistake? Was something else happen? Like, but clearly nothing of note happened. Uh, but yeah, like you say, just a bit more moaning from Yuki. Uh, and yeah, Aston, I mean, we'll get on to Aston, I think, uh, yeah. on the Sunday, but we now have to do what everyone has to do awkwardly uh, in this sprint format and just forget about qualifying and then write it off and let's talk about Saturday a bit. So, Sprint, uh, well, Sprint shootout first. Um, Well, back to you, Abby. Do you want to run us through quickly what happened? Yes. So SQ1, Verstappen was the first out on track. Some of the drivers stayed in the pits at the beginning of the session. I think Magnussen complained that there was something stuck in his left front wheel deflector, but there was a red flag, which then delayed the rest of the shootout because Ocon and Alonso came together. Both cars were seemingly destroyed Alonso ended up with a puncture I know Sam has some views on this that he feels will not be the same as mine and James's so Sam what's your take on Ocon and Alonso I think I might be breaking the hive mind here I I think on balance it is a racing incident however I think I'm going to be okay go on (laughs) I would apportion more blame in this to Alonso because I, I'm think, not going to be too far from you here, I think. So because I think, yes, Ocon lost control of the car and was having a moment. But how much of it is that being distracted by Alonso being there? How much of it is, or more, when he tried to tidy that moment up, that's when Alonso was in the worst possible place. And that's what ultimately caused the collision. So yes, you could say that Ocon had, was losing control of his car, 
But if Fernando isn't where he is, which is where he shouldn't have been, that incident doesn't happen. So therefore, I think if you're going to go one way or the other, I'd go Alonso, especially as you see him <laughs> cranking the left lock yeah. on at the moment of contact. Like Alonso is clearly, very obviously in my mind, unaware that S-Man is there. He's dawdling on the racing line. I don't know why they do that. Especially, he wasn't on the racing line, Uh, but he is—he's a bit closer to it than he should be. Well, I think—I don't think he didn't know that Ocon was there. I think he just assumed. Like, obviously, you know, you can't turn your head like you can in your car and and just look out your back window. So he obviously probably (laughs) saw him coming uh, or was told that he was coming uh, in his mirror, and then assumes that he's not had that moment, and so probably is just looking to get off the dirty side of the track as quickly as possible and get back. I don't know, but but I agree with I I would go closer to the racing incident thing, but. But the internet as a whole rounded on Ocon. I think yeah. mostly because of his unfortunate cho- uh, choice of words saying he didn't lose the car. And I think I know what he meant. And obviously we have to remember that mo- this, most people are speaking in their second language and the nuance can get lost. Yeah. I think he means he didn't lose it as in he didn't, like he would have carried on fine if Alonso wasn't there. He, he didn't end up in the barrier of his own accord. He had a moment and he would he was in the process of catching it. Exactly. It was undeniably a moment, but also, to me, quite clearly one that he would have caught. Yeah, and that's it. And I think Alonso was a little too close. I think it's one that, for that's why it balances out in the middle for me that it's a racing incident. Esteban had a moment. Fernando was in the wrong place at the right t- uh, wrong time and too close to the racing line. Uh, but now that the hive mind has remained vaguely intact, at least, uh, Abby, do you want to do you want to disagree? <laughs> I think Ocon did have a moment of oversteer, but he did look like he was going to catch it and sort it out. Alonso could have been more to the right of the track and left the space for Ocon. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like Brundle said: if you look at their two onboards. They tell different stories because Ocon's makes it look yeah. like it's Ocon's fault and Alonso's makes it look like it's Alonso's fault because he does turn left. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to go racing instant as well because it's they both could have done something different. Yeah, that's I mean, God, we're always just such well-rounded, balanced people, aren't we? It's, <laughs> I mean, you haven't heard, you haven't heard or seen me off off microphone. I guess I was going to say off camera, but we never really released the the video. So, well, before this takes a weird turn, uh, let's, <laughs> let's. I mean, I think SQ two. Like, let's just get to the headline because there's so much to get through. Lando Pole, which he didn't think he had. He what was it? He said, "Why am I so crap at qualifying?" Uh, I think maybe a different word, which I chose not to use there. But yeah, that that was the 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 general feeling of his radio message. Yeah, he wasn't very happy with it which in his post shootout interview he seemed just quite down and I feel like he kind of had that persona all weekend he didn't really seem like really happy which considering his performance I thought was a bit strange I'm guessing it's because like that that's a, a real mixed emotions because he doesn't really care about the sprints either. He's said yeah. like not the biggest fan, and it just pointed out to him what he could have achieved on Friday. I think that's I, 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 yeah. I'm with James on that. I think it was a Friday's what matters until you get to Sunday on the sprint weekend. And he and McLaren did not capitalize on their pace on Friday at all. Um, so I think he was kind of thinking, oh yeah, like 
I've got to go through this whole day where I don't really care about it. And then I've got a race, which is going to be a story of what could have been. Hence feeling glum. Yeah, exactly. And and he doesn't really care about getting a sprint win. Like Oscar's already done that. <laughs> he, he is waiting for that first win and he knew that it was unlikely from where he'd qualified. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was the man to, to beat to the first corner, but yes, well, Max did that. And from there, I mean, some people were saying like, oh, this sprint is is amazing. Uh, Ollie was quite impressed. Uh, he messaged us saying it was mega. But for me, like the first few laps were vaguely interesting. You know, you had the, the Mercs improving. You had Lewis and George both making up places and then thus falling back down. But from there, the top, I mean, the points positions were basically set uh, until Lewis faded dramatically with the tyres late on. And all the rest of the action was pretty entertaining. It's the nature of Sao Paulo. But it was all for 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, no points. And again, the bigger issue, it ruined the Sunday. Yeah. And also, yeah, yeah, lots of overtaking. Is it the right kind of overtaking? DRS. Two DRSs, like, it's how do we so feel about strong. that? I th- honestly, I think because it, it's two. Is it? I'm right in thinking it's two activation points. So you get DRS yes. down the main straight. And that's and the big if, difference because there are you, there are some where you get the the two from one, and that quite often does not work. Yeah, so at least it is more balanced, and you can fight back into turn four. But it just feels like it's maybe too overpowered here um, in, in Brazil. But also, it just. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I've been watching the sport too long that I just can't get over that. It just do- it doesn't feel like a genuine overtake in the same way. I don't. It doesn't feel as rewarding. It's tantamount to winning a sprint race. It's yeah, great. It's great, but it's not quite the real thing. Yeah, and I don't know. I. I I think I'd feel more comfortable with the push to pass type scenario. Yeah, just, I actually yeah. was thinking that during watching that that race, and I was debating in my mind because I, I know Martin Brundle said um, after, like, "Oh, people should follow this example." And and part I'm torn. Like, part of me is like, "Yeah, it's good because it gives them, you know, it it negates the dirty air issue, which is obviously why DRS exists in the first place, and it gives them the opportunity to fight back." So, you know, if you get two cars who are finely balanced, they can actually have a, a back and forth fight for a few laps. But yeah, it still kind of feels artificial and kind of like it doesn't really achieve anything because one passes one in a before they get to the corner half the time, then the other does the same and the next straight. And it's like, yeah, it's overtaking, but is it exciting, really? Um, and yeah, push to pass. I also thought, you know, just really building up that side of things and curves as it was and us being able to see what they're doing and who's using it when would make it more tactical and, and they could, you know, try and catch each other out at, at less... Uh, likely places on the track yeah absolutely yeah i think it it makes it look so easy and when you have the red bull or well max didn't really overtake anyone the whole weekend but perez did so when you have perez trying to fight through the field and he's in that red bull with that straight line speed it's it's like no one can fight against them at all and it is too easy and i think it was karoon who said it over the weekend that the DRS does need to be looked at because it's so easy that drivers don't have to fight. You can just get caught in the DRS, be less than one second, boom, you're ahead. And 
it needs looking at. I like the idea of what you guys said, having the push to pass. I think that would be a good solution to it. But yeah, it there were lots of overtakes, but the race, well, the sprint was just, I don't know. It wasn't what I was expecting in terms of excitement. I think with the, the push to pass thing, just quickly to round that off, is it works two ways. It works as a defensive aid as well as an offensive aid which it makes it more versatile, more strategic in its deployment. But also, yeah, Abby, you're absolutely right in terms of... The, if you qualify badly or you have to work your way through the field, it should be difficult. It should be a struggle to do that. And given the pace of the Red Bull, it just is... It's kind of, you know, they might, they might not get second, but they're still recovered to the podium, most likely, or at least a strong point-to-paying position. Which it should be kind of like qualifying almost doesn't matter as much for those cars because they will just work their way through the field. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Um, but we need to to race on <laughs> sprinterly. It's not a word. Um, <laughs> oh wow! Awful, awful segue. Uh, because we have so much to get through. So, well, I think yeah, let's move on to the quiz. Well, it's now time for the Abbey Bathurst quiz, patent pending. Uh, I feel like I should make you a jingle. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll do that over the next week or two before the next show. Oh, all I've got in my head now is the also glass repair, also glass replace jingle in my head. <laughs> yeah, so, which is two lines, and someone got paid for that. But uh, yeah. I won't get paid for it. But uh, I'll work on it anyway, and uh, and I'll throw to you now, Abby, for quizzing duties. Oh, thank you. Um, so, question one. How many world titles have been won by a Brazilian driver? Okay, so Senna, three. PK, three. He who must not be named, three. Uh, Fittipaldi, two. Two. And is there anyone else? Oh, <laughs> Massa, no, right. pending. PK, <laughs> you, you confused me. We said PK and then you're like, he who must not be named. I was like... Who else is that? All right, no, no. He's He's Italian. And didn't win a title. Um, I don't think there's anyone else. I'm I'm doing the Seb Vettel and going through them in my head now. Uh, Yeah, eight. I'm going to say eight. I don't think there's anyone. Correct. Well done. Cool, cool. Question two. How many Brazilian F1 drivers have there been in F1 history? You do not need to list them all because (laughs) I can't check whether they're correct. (laughs) I mean, there's uh, no point. <laughs> like there were probably, I would say, like five to ten in the like two thousands, and a few, a few fewer uh, in the twenty tens. But there's no point like trying to count. There's so up, many like. random ones, like exactly Benaldi. Yeah, the, uh, he was one of the ones Nas- I thought in the in the five to tens. Massa, Massa. I mean, because there's so like, many in, like, the 70s that were, like, Chico Landy was, like, in the 60s as well. Like, there are people just we wouldn't think about. So, go on. What's your ballpark figure? Mine is 75 ballpark. Oof. I, I would go lower. Um, I would go 37. That's a lot closer than Sam. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was thinking initially 50, and I don't know why I went 75. No, that's still too high. It is 32. Oh, 
Not bad. So close. Partial credit. Question three. Who was the last Brazilian driver to race in F1? And for what team and in what year? And where was it? (laughs) It was Pietro Fittipaldi for Haas in Abu Dhabi in 2020. Correct. Nice. Look at that precision. (laughs) Um, Question four. How many left turns are there on the Interlagos circuit? One. One. We're just going around the track in our head. This is great for the listener. I'll I'll leave Sam to it. I know we both know. Six, seven. I'm going to say eight, technically. Are you counting like seven? Is it? Have you counted an extra one? I like, like, the thing, one, I'm not the, sure. The, the, the pit straight. Yeah. Te- there's what there's one the kink is taking the clear corner. Okay. Well so I, not, I, it's not eight. I have a figure higher than that. Mm. Only by Okay, I'm gonna do it in my head now. Right, so one, <laughs> two for the centre. Once James is three what, what, four. Whilst James is doing that. Five. Are we not six? Brazilian F one drivers, Felipe Drogovic has had a session. Does that not count? <laughs> Mate, you're not going to get to 75 or whatever you said. Like, you can try and. (laughs) That that was not my intention. I'm just really. Because he was the last Brazilian to drive an F1 car in a session, right? Yeah. Um, I can't see how there are more than eight. Like, do they count two on the back straight? Nine. Let's go nine. I have the answer is 10. What? Oh, what? We've both gone around the track in our heads. I, I fail to believe it, but I will. I, I believe you, so. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, question five. Verstappen now has 52 wins and moves into fourth place. Who has he bumped into fifth? Prost. Correct. Anyone notice how, after making such a big thing about his 16th win in Mexico, <laughs> both Simon Lazenby and David Croft both mentioned it being his 16th win this weekend as well. Did they? Clearly, one of the, like, note-takers or one of the kind of... The just forgot to behind add the, the extra yeah. <laughs> It's obviously just made a mistake in their yeah. in their show notes. Um, but yeah. I mean, he must have mentioned, as you said, the uh, the Mansell... About three times. ...in the last two seasons, yeah. But he still couldn't... Yeah, anyway. Carry on, Abby. <laughs> Question six. Norris got his 13th podium in Brazil and ties with Nick Heidfield for the most podiums without a career win. However, yes. who were the four drivers who made it to 15 podiums before getting their first win? Oh, that's a great question. I thought the Thank question you. was going to be Heidfeld. So 15 podiums before a win. Who was... Uh, Mark Webb? No, he was late in his career, but he didn't get many podiums before it. So who's got that many podiums and not one? <sighs> Barrichello? No. Oh, I, was gonna, I, was, I was thinking Barrichello, maybe. Again, um, he only just started at Ferrari when he got his first win, so... Someone like... Ricard... Oh, mm. Ric- no, because he, he won in 2014. I was going to say Ricardo Petrosi. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> he's on my mind. <laughs> um, Nico... Or oh, Jensen Barson could... Mm, yeah, that's yeah, an outside no. there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he got quite a lot in 04, but yeah. Uh, Fisichella. No. Oh. I love this. This is testing your knowledge. This is really difficult. <laughs> this is going to take up the entire show, but like, I don't, I don't want to <laughs> give up on, on this. On, on. Okay, can we have like a clue in maybe era? 
For, uh, how many are there? There's four. four. Yeah. So fifty. So the four drivers had fifteen podiums before. Yeah. Or at least fifteen. Yeah. Or over fifteen. Fifteen podiums exactly, and then they got four their win. Huh. Yes. So drivers. weird. Um, this is the best stat ever. <laughs> uh, who was? Oh, John Alesi. Correct. I was thinking could be lazy because I was trying to think of guys who had like only one win or few wins. Um, is Nico Rosberg maybe one? That doesn't no. feel like it's. It doesn't feel like he could have enough. Felipe Massa, new. Mika Hakkinen. Correct. Oh, That's nice. the one I was thinking of was more okay. recent. Been there. Yeah. Pretty sure they uh, both retired in in two thousand and one. Bonus they point did. because we're not going to get the other two. John Lazy had a big. 200 yeah on his because it was his 200th race wasn't it uh, now they do that in like yeah seven seasons yeah um, one of them is French <clears throat> one of the others and he was in the 95 world championship oh. season it's not it's not Panis no, no, there's no way he got 15 podiums. Uh, oh man, this is really French. tough. I mean, <laughs> a lazy was in that season in French. That's all I can think of. Another Frenchman. There were three Frenchmen in. Jarno Trulli. He's Italian. No, but I'm just saying. I know he's. I know. I know he's Italian. Um. <laughs> Oh, goodness, this is really difficult. Um, the other one raced between 93 and 2002. Oh, Christ, so they're all gettable. I was, like, going back into the 70s in my mind. 93 and 2002. Mika Salo. No. No. I just know he retired that year. I don't know why I know all that. Like, <laughs> I if any of the question were about when they retired. I wouldn't say it was retired. More kind of lost his seat. Um, it was a soft retirement. Focus, Sam. Sorry. Um, <laughs> 93. Oh, Eddie Irvine. Yes. Oh. Obviously. Yeah. That's so, that's so obvious when you think about it, because obviously he had been doing two years at Ferrari before <laughs> before winning a race. Um, three years at Ferrari before winning a race. God. Um. Do you want me to give you a clue to the last one? Go on. He was killed in a crash at Hockenheim. I'm guessing not in a Grand Prix. No, it was a private testing yeah. session. Oh. oh. Oh, no, I know this, I know this, I know this. Um, not um, Stefan Bell. It was in the 80s. He was like yeah. an up and coming, he was like the next big thing. Belloff, you're thinking of. I- I'm thinking of Belloff, aren't I? But he, he he's died. Belgian. Yeah, he definitely wasn't in 95. Wait, is Bell off the answer? No. Okay. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> you you look kind of sheepish then. <laughs> Wait, so, so the last answer is the guy who died. Who died. Okay, we're not going to get it. Go on, Abby. Patrick. Depay. Yeah. Definitely not in the 1995 <laughs> season. <laughs> that, that's okay. <laughs> oh, I'm so confused. Anyway. <laughs> that's taken almost 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, question seven. Alonso scored his 106th career podium to move joint fourth of all time with who? Is that Prost as well? Yes. 
Yeah. Question eight. This season, we are yet to hear the British national anthem played on the podium for either a driver or a constructor. What year did this last happen? Oh, wow. I mean, so right off everything pre-Lewis. Well, including Lewis, sorry. Back to pre-Lewis. No, McLaren. Yeah, I'm thinking. Every, and then McLaren. When did McLaren not win a race? Uh, or like McLaren or Williams not win a race so I'm thinking like I don't know 70 no not that far earlier earlier wow Uh, let's go what uh, 50s is it 50s yeah it's in the 50s so when Moss and Hawthorne were in the... 54. Close, 1952. Okay, so basically the start. <laughs> wow. That is, yeah. that is another fantastic start. And then, final question. Alonso now has the record for the most podiums at a circuit without ever winning. How many does he now have at Interlagos? I love these stats. Uh, I don't know the answer to any of them, but... <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe five, six. I was going to go five or six, so. No. Four. No. Seven. Higher. Higher than seven? Yeah. Eight. Higher. He's at nine podiums there. Yep. Wow. Jeez. That's a lot. God, what a. uh, That was a really difficult quiz. And poor Ollie. Very enjoyable, though. Very enjoyable. Uh, thank you, Abby, for another wonderful quiz. And that genuinely is one of my favourites. There were some great yeah. stats in there. Huh. Yeah. Even if a... we only scored like four. You got six. Tough. Six. There you yeah. go. Did, did six we get nine. six or is it an Abby six? Which is really <laughs> okay, you got five at plus bonus point. <laughs> okay. So. On the McKenzie okay. scale, it's, it's <laughs> a five at best. Well, moving on from one of our favourite and most popular segments to maybe the most popular, world famous, as it is, Formula Nerd's National Anthem Review. Indeed, although that is Spanish and they speak yeah, Portuguese. No, no, no. <laughs> that was I because I almost said let's effing go, uh, which I then was like, no, they say vamos a lot in, in F1. Okay. I know that it's, I know that they okay. speak, Port- I can tell you why they speak Portuguese. Still in a quiz mode, uh, right? Yeah. Okay, so well, there's, there's a kid involved, so I feel the, the, the gut feeling that I should throw immediately to Sam. Oh, mate, please, context. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty poor. I, didn't, I wasn't expecting much. I feel like I was pretty critical last year of the of the anthem for the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. I can't remember it last year. I, I remember taking the mick out of a kid who was holding his... <laughs> he was hand on oh, heart, the, but yeah, on the wrong side wrong of the chest. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Not much. So... It was, I mean, it was, I liked the little, was it the ukulele? The the kid had a little, a little kind of 
guitar thing. I'm going to say it was ukulele. It just looked like a mini guitar more than a uke, to be honest. Oh, wow. Sorry. <laughs> Goodness me. Yeah, Why I just my... realised how pretentious and um, how much of a hit story just sounded Did like. Did anyone know that James McKenzie's a musician? I bought one for my mate once, so, you know. <laughs> my granddad uh, goes to a ukulele like club he it'll turn out to be one now anyway and i'll look like even more of a tosser <laughs> i remember seeing someone online who was like actually it's ukulele and everyone's been saying it wrong uh, at least i didn't say that but anyway ukulele carry on weapons. with um, the uh, mini guitar <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness me yeah he he was cute in a good voice he 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 was he was bossing it he was doing he was doing all he could right he was performing pretty well for a child in front of hundreds of thousands of people. L- lady next to him. <sighs> I mean, I personally would have probably turned her microphone on. I don't know. It, right. I thought that. Okay, I was going to ask, because be they cut away, so I couldn't see. I was like, has she just, like, bottled this and isn't singing the entire first verse? Well, At that's first- what some people were saying online. I thought that. I was like, is she actually singing? Because it sounded like she awkwardly paused. Yeah. Because it uh, it must have been, the mic must have, uh, if it is that theory, been cutting out because you could hear her at first and then it, and then the, the levels dipped. But yeah, maybe maybe she did bottle it. Maybe she just, but whatever it was, it wasn't very well polished, and it it didn't seem to right. be how. It if was we have be. someone who is who is listening, who is at the Grand Prix, please, like, well, I guess on the start finish straight, which is getting to quite a, a small select group of people, mm-hmm. please let us know because they're the only people who will know. Or the drivers, if you know, if any of the drivers are listening, we we know they're some big fans. Um, but but yeah, uh, Abby, well, uh, sorry, uh, rating first, Sam. Rating? Oh, mate, I can't, I can't, I can't give it too high because it just it seemed pretty disorganised. Really, it was like there was they were doing it for the first time. Did they not do a sound check? You know, or you know, a, you know, metal check? Because she <laughs> potentially bottled it. Um, like a three? Like it was pretty meh. Yeah. Um, so the kid, he's he's the one who's earned all three points there. Yeah. With his, and, with his and there you go. Who'd have thought that from Samuel Coop? Abby. Yeah. I'm actually giving it a three too. That's the rating I've got written down. Oh. The kid was good with the guitar, ukulele, whatever it was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it just wasn't that memorable for me. It was yeah. meh. So yeah. yeah, three. I don't have a lot to go on. You kind of, I remember one year, Long before we were doing the podcast, long before the National Anthem Review, I seem to remember that it was a very, like, samba-style, like, there was full of, and this is yeah, back in the day that, when there were dancers. And, that's what you, you know, think of when you think of Brazil, isn't it? Exactly. And it was more of a kind of festival-feeling excitement. It was probably back when it was the final race of the season, which, you know, was a whole other talking point. But, yeah, there's so much that they could do with a Brazilian National Anthem, and they just didn't this time. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I don't have a lot to add to what you guys have said. Um, I guess they can't just do Samba every year. They have to mix it up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start with the positives. Um, I think I enjoyed the authenticity, just, you know, just a guitar and a vocal or two, <laughs> vocal some of the time, whether it was cutting out or just non-existent. And 
it feeling quite authentic. You know, you feel, feel like you could see hear that uh, a Brazilian bar maybe on the corner in Sao Paulo, and the kid had a winning smile. Now, yes, he, he, he's um, cute. <laughs> you kid. Now moving on to the negatives. I wondered initially if he was miming on on the tiny guitar uke, and. But no, no. But it went out of tune as the the performance progressed, which is unfortunate. It's happened to the best of us. I mean, I'm a drummer, so not so much me, but to, to my band members. But yeah, you're more exposed there, and it, it was noticeably out of tune. I, I thought by about halfway through. But at least that showed he wasn't miming, which is more impressive. Um, which actually maybe over the the grand scheme of things wins in more points than it loses. Um, but yeah, the the singing when it did exist also was not great from uh, the lady next to him. So, I mean, I th- let's make it three threes. I'll give it a three as well. Nice. It's a, a a trio of threes. That is also the first time that all of the panel have given the same rating for the national anthem. You're just agreed. pulling stats out of everywhere. <laughs> Even Sean stats. Kelly needs to be a uh, needs to yeah. <laughs> needs to watch yeah. out. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I mean. Just to, to round this off and hand on the correct side of my chest when I say this, hand on heart. <laughs> James calling a ukulele a uke is going to live rent-free in my head. It's <laughs> considerable. Like I don't think I've ever done it before. I don't know where that came from. I'm just so so obsessed with the fact that we need to like race through this podcast and keep it in an hour. I'm, I'm, I'm trying by to, saying I'm, uke. I, I cut out four letters and now here we are talking about those four letters. It's come back to bite me. But... Let's leave it there. That was the Formula's National Anthem review for the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Let's get on to the real racing. Well, it was Max back on pole in his traditional place uh, once we remember what happened on Friday. And, well, this is kind of what we've been saying. I wasn't that excited I mean, I had to watch it belatedly because I had a commentary, which doesn't help. But, you know, obviously that doesn't really change that much for me. Like, in the build-up, I was just like, well, I, I, Max is going to win. The Mercedes are going to fall backwards. And, like, well, <laughs> one thing I did not expect happened on the formation lap. And it broke my heart once again. Charles Leclerc crashes out. It turns out to be hydraulics which was, you know, something to make me feel slightly better because I thought Charlotte just dropped it and that was just going to be too too much. But equally, the hydraulics just factors into the, the feeling I now have that Charlotte Claire is some kind of sick social experiment to see how much pain one man can take. He feels the same. He expressed over his radio, <laughs> why the bleep am I so unlucky? Yeah. And he said it multiple times over the radio. Well, he's got a point. <laughs> like, <sighs> yeah. He so does. The pain, the pain in his voice. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, after, like, I was writing an article earlier about it and I kept writing post race interview, but it wasn't the post race interview. It was his yeah, post formation lap interview. <laughs> yeah. It was his, it was his, well, yeah, his yeah. post formation lap interview, I guess. Yeah. And he said he doesn't know what to do anymore. Obviously, it's been a season to forget because there have been times where he's qualifying, he can excel at. Obviously, he gets a lot of pole positions and doesn't turn them into a victory. But there is, I feel like there's just something integral that is wrong at Ferrari 
and Leclerc keeps getting hit with the brunt of it because he is just so unfortunate. And it's a real shame because he has loads of potential. And Sainz won a race and Leclerc still hasn't. So it's what, 20 something poles now in his career? And yeah, five 22, wins? I believe. And not all of those wins were converted from poles, I'm pretty sure. But either way, I think you could probably, if you were to go over those however many wins, uh, however, however many poles that weren't converted into a win, very few, I'd say, were Charles's fault. I saw someone do a thread about this, like, and went through them one by one. And France is pretty much it. Like, mm. if you're being harsh, you could give one or two more. But that's it. And so we're talking, yeah, 17, 18 unconverted poles, which strategy. haven't been his fault. Like, Pace. strategy or mechanical failures or yeah. just, yeah, the fact that the Ferrari qualifies well and then just gets destroyed on race day. Like... It is just, it's going to be one of those stats for the ages, I think. And hopefully he can balance it out a bit at some point. He's still pretty young. He's 26. He's got some years ahead of him. Well, it's a bit like, and, and this is one of those unfortunate things for drivers is that they win, they, 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 they live and die by their, their record, their points record, their you know, win record, all that stuff. And you never factor in actually what car were you, were you in? What were the other factors there? You know, it's a little bit like in American football, how they award, wins and losses to quarterbacks as a stat. And yes, it is the most important position in American football. But it's a team but game. It, yeah, exactly. And and most racing is also a team sport. And I think that is often forgotten. And so, yeah, I feel for Charles there because, yeah, I don't think it's a representative um, view of his, his abilities. Yeah, well, it made one thing... Sure, and that was that no one was going to beat Max to the first corner. That was my one hope for a bit of excitement was maybe Charles chucking it down the inside as Max did. Because, you know, it's one of those first corners where arguably second could be better than first. But yeah, that wasn't going to happen. And as it turned out, I mean, what, about five drivers barely made it to the first corner, despite the uh, slightly increased amount of space. Um, so it was, I think, Nico Hulkenberg squeezed... Albon into Magnussen. Was that it? No, it was Hulk got squeezed by Magnussen and Albon. Right. So then Albon hit Hulk and when he was going forward and then he slammed into Magnussen who then whacked Piastri, breaking the McLaren's rear wing. And then yep. a tyre flew off of Albon and then that hit Ricardo's car. Yep. And then there was That's the red flag. Because I was looking at the Hasses trying to work out where their tyre came from. Because I was like, Hulkenberg's still going, but it wasn't Magnussen's tyre. It was Albon's. That makes so much more sense. Right. Glad we solved that one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It was carnage, basically. And obviously, immediately, a safety car. And yeah, I mean, a shame for for Daniel, you know, having come agonisingly close to a point the sprint race and you know that we would go on to see even more the the pace that was in that alpha tauri it yeah it just wasn't to be he and oscar when they restarted were a lap down they were indeed but on oscar's teammate lando had a fantastic start to even be in p2 by the time the the safety car and then the red flag was was thrown yeah straight up the inside and it's a high risk move right the walls are in close in interlagos um which I didn't realise meant two rivers uh, until the uh, in between two rivers, I think. Um, Lakes. Uh, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> wow. <Lagos. laughs> or a uke. Um, 
Um, <laughs> Yuki Sonoda. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I I was really hopeful that Lando might be able to take it to Max once the race got started. But he did look promising at points, but you always got the impression that Max had it in well, him. He looked promising for precisely about three corners. Yeah. It was <laughs> okay, what, yeah. once when he, he got within a couple of tenths and threatened, uh, and then it was like, oh my God, have we actually got a race for the win? Like, I've forgotten what this feels like. Because even in Singapore, it wasn't really, like, it was just a case of Carlos keeping Lando behind him just to keep DRS and keep everyone in order. It, that wasn't really, it was exciting, but, you know, it was like, are we actually have some battling for the lead that doesn't happen anymore? And no, no. Max just was like, oh, you got a bit close, I'll just sail off into the distance. And then that was that, really. At the front, it's it's not really worth mentioning again anything Isn't- in the top two. I feel like with Max, it's a little bit like watching a cat playing with like a, mi- a mouse. Well, he said in the in it's the press conference, like, uh, let him run around, grab him. I can't remember whether it was the sprint. Um, yeah, I think it was after the sprint. He said, "Oh, it's like oh, having yes. a cookie." Like, and obviously Lando can take that because he's mates with him. But I was like, that's borderline to kind of taking the actual piss. <laughs> well, and it's been this has been I think misinterpreted or, or, or warped online. But Max was also asked, when did the tire management start, or when did the kind of you know, the, yeah, and that, the that's the bigger start. point of what he's saying. Like, you know, it's and, just like eking it out and letting yeah. them get close enough. But yeah, it just came across yeah. as like a man who has won seventeen out of the twenty races. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was like, oh, it started on the formation lap almost kind of and it was obviously interpreted yeah. by people online as arrogant pushing like, and he was yeah, yeah. and i'm not being funny but <laughs> is that arrogance or confidence not deserved yeah when well, you've broken <laughs> broken every record pretty much in a single season it's exactly. a fair point um it's a it is a fair point i just realized i covered my mouth as i said that which is dumb um but then well, yeah, I mean, it was also a great start from Lewis. Uh, Lando and Lewis were either side um, of the Astins and up to second and third. Alonso then immediately passed Lewis back. Uh, I thought that was a little bit um, soft defending from Lewis. It felt like he thought maybe he could get away with half defending and then it got to the point where Fernando was too close and he obviously didn't want to risk having a crash. Uh, but that was pretty much a, a sign of things to come for, for Lewis and the Mercedes as we knew would happen, but maybe happened even worse than we expected, I would say. They fell gradually back down the field. Um, I mean, let's just go through it now. There's no point going through this race chronologically because nothing much happened. It's more a case of talking points. So Mercedes, what happened? Was it just set up? Is this an issue with their new floor that they didn't see through the specific circumstances of the last two races? Would they have won if it was a wet race? <laughs> I, I I wondered that after you know because they had so much downforce that it was to their own downfall. I, I do wonder if if it if the rain had come on Sunday, well, what would have happened? But that's that's not really a worth investigating. I don't think. What what do you think happened to them that made it so bad in the dry? What it looked like they. Obviously, we're lacking straight line speed. They were had a seemed to have quite a downforce heavy setup, uh, but also they just it was it was the lack of traction on corner exit, which was they were just there there for the taking every time. Couldn't defend. Yeah, there was no kind of real. 
pathway for them to move up through the 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 order once the first initial laps have been out of the way and they've been overtaken by you know the the, the cars that proved to be the quickest ones on the day and even then you know throughout the race you you know alpine brilliant you know taxis obviously hamilton takes gasly i think then ocon ends up in front of gasly through the pit stops but either way they switch them around gasly retakes the position for hamilton and finishes ahead of it the alpha tauris had more race pace it just i don't know but what's so puzzling is how different this car can be on different tracks as you say james but also how contrasting their fortunes were from this very circuit last season it's it's a mystery because for the well for the past two race weekends ahead of sao paulo they were on the podium yes lewis got disqualified in cota but to go from being on the podium to finishing eighth and then having a dnf because the engine was getting too hot it's it's a complete mystery and it is not good to see because in the sprint an alpha tauri finished ahead of both of them not ahead of both of them an alpha tauri finished ahead of hamilton and then like you say sam hamilton got overtaken by quite a few cars in the race and toto wolf after it said it was an inexcusable performance there are no words for it and whatever they did to the car is horrible but the thing that is strange is that Hamilton said that the Grand Prix was actually he felt was a better race than than the sprint which I was a bit baffled by because from where I was sitting it looked like the Grand Prix seemed worse and he did blame it on setup and they do only have one FP1 session cars are in Parc Ferme after qualifying straight away so they can't change it but is it just that they got the wrong setup or is there something more fundamental wrong with it that's a null and void point, right? And maybe their car is more difficult to set up. Maybe the sweet spot is is smaller. But everyone up and down the grid has now. It's not like they're going, oh, Mercedes, you know, you guys, you won eight championships in a row. You only get half an hour. They get exactly the same amount of time as everyone else. Mm. So that's not really an excuse. Of course, this is the idea of the, the lottery of the unknown of, of less practice and it doesn't always, ben- you know, it's not always going to be the case that Red Bull struggle and then it, it mixes things up. Like it, it might just be that those who compete with Red Bull potentially don't nail it and then we get less action at the front. Uh, so it's it's not a guaranteed solution for you know, dominance. Um, and realistically, actually, you're more likely to enhance Red Bull's um yeah, just through the law of the, averages. <laughs> but through the law of averages and also for the fact that their car clearly works better in a wider range of scenarios and, and conditions. Yeah. There's more ways... Red Bull have more ways of skinning the cat, basically, than I think their rivals. Um, which is a saying that has snuck into my lexicon in the last few days, and I don't know why. I had a lecturer at uni who used to say it. But <laughs> a, one team that did really benefit and we touched upon it earlier um and again it was a sign of things to come alonso and hamilton's um or his move on hamilton early in the race but but aston martin got it together in absolutely the right way this weekend and i think that's amazing why, different team exactly and i think why alonso was looking so up for it is he is a man who is so precise so good at delivering when he needs to they thought, you know what? This is my opportunity. I have to take this. 
I ha- we have to maximise on points. And we'll get on to the, the Paris fight in a second, because that is obviously the, the bigger talking point of the race. But Lance Stroll had an excellent weekend comparative to where he has been of late. Yeah. Strong qualifying and held off science in, in the in the race. Did he get points in the sprint as well, Abby? I can't. No. No, he didn't. No. But still, P5 in the race, holding off science, he did what he had to do. He, I think he maximised his, his, his race there. I don't think he could have done much better. Yeah, you could argue, oh, well, if Alonso can hold off Perez, then so can Stroll, but you know, Fernando Alonso is Fernando Alonso. It felt like Stroll had a bit of a lonely race because we didn't see him battling that much with others. But it was good to see him back on form and showing what he can do and actually scoring some good points for the team. Because whatever Aston did to that car before going into Park Ferme, whatever they did to change for this weekend, clearly worked. And I think they went back to one of the older specs of the car that they had at the beginning of the season, which obviously we saw them getting loads of podiums with Alonso. But it was great to see them back up there because it did feel like their season was falling away a bit. But now two races left, Aston seemed to be back in the fight. Yeah, it's kind of out of nowhere. And I think McLaren will still hold them off for force. But yeah, I mean, they were just back to the team they were five months ago. Um, But yeah, let's go back to that that main talking point at the end of the race and the, the battle between... Uh, Checo and Fernando. Sam, do you, do you want to talk us through it? Because I know you, you really enjoyed it. I did really enjoy it. I love a defensive drive. Uh, I th- There's a lot of artistry in it for me. To hold off a, a, a faster car in that way for, what, 15 laps or so was just... And you could, you could actually see it. It was one of those times where the... And you can see the subtle differences in driving styles and, and, and different lines and, and approaches to things. And also, if one car's kind of hooked up to its highs better than the other and so on and so forth. But this was really obvious. This is really clear. How Fernando was approaching corner exits, it was a, let's get the car as straight as possible, get on the on the, uh, the gas as quickly as possible to hold off Perez in a faster car. He executed it flawlessly for 15 laps and it was a joy to watch. And they didn't look that close for pretty much that entire time. But that's a testament to how good a job Fernando was doing at that point. And Harry Benjamin said himself, and to paraphrase, he kind of said, that is Fernando Alonso at his best, holding off a fast car. Yeah. And you, you got He's to see an absolute masterclass. Of, um, but fair. Fernando, we've seen it so many yeah. times over the years, and you know, famously holding off Lewis in Hungary yeah. that got Ock on the win. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's him in his element, and it was thoroughly enjoyable. But then, I think as the penultimate lapse, the lap seventy of seventy-one, Perez finally finds a way through. He's he's he and credit to Perez, he was back on form and he's learning throughout the fifteen laps or so. He's behind. He's working out. He goes, "Where does the car? Where should I position it out of the final corner? Where do I need to go? How how do I need to address this?" All comes together, works it out, manages to make the move. I thought, you know what? That's that. What a brilliant fight. Gusted for Fernando. And also, 
I was thinking, oh, we miss the opportunities to have the, uh, McLaren and Aston Martin on the fir- on the podium together for the first time this season, which is mad if you think about it, given yeah. how dominant those two teams have been. But a tale, you know, it's a tale of two cities for them. Um, but I thought that was, yeah, that was that all- intentional. Sorry, <laughs> that was another Charles to call back. And yeah, and then for Fernando to pin that move into turn four, the last lap to retake that P3. Absolutely stunning. And that just, you know, you really felt like the race finished on a high. Yeah, and then it's like holding him off by what fifty six thousandths or whatever it was. I mean, honestly, yeah, that that battle is is what's brought me up to a five. I think without that, it would have lost a point. Um, no, it, it was fantastic to see, um, and a, a fitting end to well, to to draw the race out with with some excitement. Uh, what about half a minute down the road from Max and Lando, who stayed commendably close, you'd have to say, in second. Uh, worth noting that at the end, George Russell was well, not quite at the end. <laughs> he was put out of his out of his misery with a, an overheating engine, whilst already out of the points. Lewis hung on for a few points, as we said. Lance was fifth. Uh, good performance there, and, and that's 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 it really. Uh, I think the the takeaways. Let's not bother with the standings because you know everyone knows Max has got more than double everyone else. Uh, the takeaways I think are that the battle for seconds probably over unless Checo has a couple of real shockers. The battle for fourth is anyone's between Fernando, Lando, uh, and Carlos. Maybe Charles if he gets uh, a bit lucky. And uh, yeah, the. Ferrari a little bit closer to Mercedes, so still a, a battle there in the constructors. But before we do head off into into the night, I don't know what that's <laughs> not, yeah, not Dickens. Um, but uh, yes, let's let's decide on our drivers of the day. See if we well, we're not allowed to all agree on this one. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll be the generous host, uh, and I'll let you guys choose first. And Abby, you can go first this time. I, I went to Sam first for everything else. I think. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I don't know. I have a couple, but I feel like they're really obvious. So I don't know whether to go for the obvious ones that lots of other people would go for or go for someone obscure. Um, So I'm going to go with Gasly because he Hmm. qualified 13th on the (laughs) The Friday. George Russell pick. (laughs) And he finished finished 7th. But he did do... some really good overtakes he managed to battle Hamilton finished above him in the Grand Prix and I feel like he just had a, a great weekend for him so Pierre Gasly there you go that that is the kind of pick that gets normally chosen once all the good ones have gone but I it's, <laughs> you make some good points uh Sam can you can, I mean I think I know who you're gonna pick but oh, I don't know I think I think you've got another curveball coming Sergio Perez okay well, I've been left with the easiest choice of anyone then. <laughs> I think given how bad a weekend he had in Mexico, all things considered, I think he really, he responded in the absolute right way. And he ultimately came up against a sensational drive from, from Fernando Alonso. The only thing that I, I think the only thing that kind of makes me hesitant here is I think that, a third was within his was within his gift, 
And I think actually it wasn't the the fight on track with Fernando. I think they got the strategy slightly wrong. I think with the Red Bull, it was a two-stop strategy. I would like to see more variation. But because overtaking is theoretically easier in Brazil than some other tracks, they should have just stuck to their strategy, stuck to the optimum strategy and trusted that you were going to work your way through the field. I think had they done that, I think he could have taken P3 because they were covering off. They were responding to other people's pit stops with Perez. And I think had they not done that, I think they could have potentially um, had that podium for, for Sergio. But I don't think that should take away from Sergio's efforts because he was, you know, very, very... not. He was much more informed than we've seen him of late. The As, as we already you know, covered qualifying wasn't really his fault but the rest of the weekend was really really strong and he he did what he needed to do so yeah for that reason Sergio Perez yeah it, was, it would have been one of his more deserved driver of the days for those kind of drives from ninth to to well in this case fourth um yeah especially with it being no fault of his own really the his qualifying position but yeah I, well I'll go with the stupendous or whatever adjective you use to describe it drive from Fernando Alonso has to be absolute stunning effort like across the weekend well the Saturday was trickier but we, we've got into that but overall yeah uh, Fernando on the podium moving slightly up the uh, oldest podiums chart uh, as he's continued to do as he gets gradually older now 42 uh, yeah I think that was that was a brilliant effort and he very much deserves one of our picks uh, and well he's got it and that's it. I think we've covered everything and that's a great effort because that was a lot to get through in an hour. Uh, and it's been a pleasure to have you guys with me. Uh, we'll be back for, well, we finally get a break now, guys. Um, it's been three in a row. It's been a lot. We get a week off. So do the drivers and teams, but, uh, I'll see you guys before then. We'll figure out what to talk about. Um, yeah, there'll be some talking points, I'm sure. Uh, and I'll look forward to seeing you guys there. Oh, no, have you heard the, the Vegas Grand Prix next? <laughs> I, they've been, re- they've been really quiet about it. <laughs> so maybe well, yeah. we can talk about that. Well, maybe it will just be a, a Vegas preview. We'll, we'll see. But <laughs> until Vegas, thank you all for joining us. And we'll see you there or a little before the, the shining lights of Las Vegas. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Come to the Race podcast. It's lights out. And away we go! Sports Social Podcast Network.